What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to episode 572 with my guest Dave Holmes. This is a replay of an episode originally recorded in 2012. Uh and it's a great episode. I uh, I mean, maybe you'll disagree with me. In which case, you can go fuck yourself heartily and quickly and deeply. It's a, it's a great conversation, and I really like it. And I'm, uh, I'm, I'm glad Dave was a guest on the show. Um, we will be back next week with new episodes. Oh, and if, uh, I don't think I mentioned it at the top. My name is Paul Gilmartin. Does that come as a shock to some of you? This is the mental illness happy hour. Is that also shocking? Maybe not. Boy, have I gotten off on, <laughs> on the wrong foot. Um, one of our sponsors for this week is BetterHelp.com Online Therapy. As I've mentioned the last uh, couple of weeks, I've been paired with a new therapist, and uh, I'm I'm liking what uh, what we are the work we're doing together, one of the things I said in our first session was I would really love to find a way to become more productive uh, with my work and my creative pursuits. And, you know, I'm a procrastinator. And one of the things Heidi has me doing is this thing called the Pomodoro Pomodoro method. Um, And it, I won't go into huge details about it, but it's it's working out uh, so far. It's a way of setting a timer and setting goals and giving yourself little rewards. And uh, yeah, I'm digging it so far. So if you're interested in, in checking out BetterHelp, go to betterhelp.com slash mental. Make sure you include the slash mental part. And if they have a um, list of therapists that they feel would be a good fit for you, they will uh, send that to you, and you can choose from one and get started. You can switch therapists at any time. Um, you can communicate with them via uh, you know, video, audio, chat, a whole bunch of different ways. Smoke signal? <laughs> Semaphores? Oh, I'm beating this into the ground. Uh, but again, go to uh, BetterHelp.com. 
com slash mental and they are licensed in all 50 states and uh, if I didn't mention it we'll be back next week with uh, new episodes and here is that episode from 2012 with Dave Holmes Dave Holmes is the guest today and uh, Dave happens to be gay and I was you know as I as I put a show together I will go through emails and uh, survey responses and try to pick ones that um, kind of round out the show. And a couple of the survey responses and emails that I that I had um, were from people who were gay or lesbian. And so I thought, you know what? Let's let's try a theme show. Let's uh, so all of the emails or, or survey responses will be from people who are gay or lesbian today. Um, this is from the Shame and Secret survey. It was filled out by a guy named Grizzly. He is, um, I don't think anybody's scratching their head wondering uh, what type of guy he prefers. Or actually, maybe he doesn't. Maybe uh, just because he is a Grizzly. I forget how that whole thing works. One of my friends explained it to me, what, what uh, bears are. I think that's the right term. I so want to go back for the last 30 seconds and just rewind this. I, I hate when I stumble. I, I fucking hate it. Um, he's gay. He's in his 30s. He was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Um, never been sexually abused. Uh, deepest, darkest thoughts. He writes, I think about my family dying. I think about how happy I would be if they didn't exist. Not that I want to kill them, just that something would happen to them. Natural causes, act of God, violence, or accident. Um, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. He writes, uh, I often think about taking advantage of a guy in public, no matter their sexual preference. I would like to go up to a hot guy, say in the grocery store, wherever, and just grab his cock, and he likes it. I would strip him and bend him over and have my way with him in front of everyone, then leave him there naked and full of my cum, and I would continue shopping as if nothing happened. I, I, my favorite part of that is continue shopping as if nothing happened. <laughs> like nobody, you know, like five minutes later, you could just somebody's going to be standing next to you in the checkout line, and that's not going to be awkward. You know, hey, weren't you the guy that? That just pumped that dude full of jizz over by the donuts. Now you're thinking of someone else. All right, you you look a lot like that guy that that was ramming that other guy's head into the Wonder Bread. Nope, not me. Would you ever consider telling a partner or close friend your fantasies? Uh, he writes no because I'm totally not that kind of person. Um, I do not like having sex in public. I don't even like public dis display of affection. Anyone who knows me would be shocked by this. Um, it's just not in my nature. That is kind of fan uh, uh, fascinating that somebody's sexual fantasy is different um, than what they like in real life. Uh, Deepest Darkest Secrets, he writes, I was bullied all throughout grade school and in high school. I'm a pretty huge and intimidating guy as an adult. People would uh, never guessed that I was called names on a daily basis and beaten up multiple times as a kid. Either my family was unaware of this or they just ignored it. Did these secrets or thoughts generate any particular feelings towards yourself? He writes, I guess that I, 
I guess that would be why I feel worthless. I've never felt as if anyone cared about me. I've never felt loved. The only time anyone ever noticed me was to call me names, make negative comments about me, or to hit me. Well, Grizzly, I'm sending a big, uh, big hug your way. And um, I wanted to read this survey response from uh, Happy Moments um, because I think it kind of goes in tandem with uh, with Grizzly's survey. And uh, this was filled out by a woman who calls herself Margarita Time. And uh, she writes, let's see, where is it? When I was a senior in high school, I was sitting with friends at lunch when a fellow classmate came by uh, to impart some news about some sort of senior event. He walked away, and, and then I heard a table next to us. The table uh, adjacent to where I was sitting was full of freshman football players, uh, and they were they were wearing their jerseys at the time. I thought that they were tough guys. Um, they thought they were tough guys, so of course they immediately started making fun of my classmate. I listened and watched as they made some remarks and jokes about him and his sexuality. Then one of them muttered the word faggot. I don't know what came over me, but suddenly I was on my feet and standing at the front of their table. I don't remember what I said, and I'm certain I've glorified it since, but I said something along the lines of, listen, you fucking freshman, do you even know... Uh, who that guy is. He is one of the nicest men you will ever meet. He's smart, he's talented, and he's helpful. Uh, who gives a fuck if he's gay or straight? It doesn't change who he is. Uh, he doesn't deserve your name calling. And if I hear you call him faggot one more time, I will beat the shit out of you. Do you understand me? Uh, after they mumbled in the affirmative and I sat back down at my table, shaking, while my friends looked at me with new eyes, I knew I shouldn't have threatened bodily harm, and I'm not proud of that, but in this instance, I used it to shock them into listening to what I said. I'd never actually beat them up. Uh, not only would I never do that to someone, I also physically can't. I'm an extremely overweight, asthmatic-smoking female. At most I could do is trip them and sit on them and hope to crack a rib. Everybody yeah. I know is bizarrely, beautifully fucked up in some weird way. I couldn't stand you in the audition. I couldn't stand yeah. you. Yes, yeah. awful. Yeah. I was drunk. And I learned that I could solve my problems. And said. Through violence, since I couldn't communicate. Lonely? Yes. I'm afraid that my genitalia is ugly. That's hurtful. And what was your role in the robbery? I mean, you never knew what you were going home to. I had a jar that had teeth in it. I was a wreck. Other people's teeth? Yeah. I'm here with Dave Holmes, who uh, we've bumped into each other half a dozen times. Yeah. We have mutual friends, Jimmy, yeah. Jimmy Pardo. We're in similar circles. Yeah, Pat Francis. Right. Um, We're well, in the Never Not Funny family of, that's right. That's of, right. uh, of comic broadcasters, right? And We're in the interstitial show family. <laughs> that's right. Uh, we've been to a couple of Fourth of July parties True. together. True. Um, but we've never really sat down and talked. And, no. I, and I saw that you had tweeted something about the show, mm -hmm. and I was like, oh, Dave watches the, or listens to the podcast. Right. And uh, so I asked if you'd be interested in coming on, and yeah. you said yes, and I, I was said, very excited. I said, yes, get ready for your first nine-hour episode. <laughs> yeah. This is going to be like, yeah, pledge drive length, so so get comfy. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm really excited to be here. I love the show. Thanks. I, I, I appreciate that. Um, for those of you that don't know, uh, 
Dave, what what would be some things? Uh, you're probably the thing that people would know you the most from was the was the first thing who uh, who wants yeah. to be a VJ? Well, yeah, on, yeah, on I want to be a VJ on MTV. That still literally comes up every single day of my life. Really? Oh, really? Yeah, that was in 1998, and we're in 2012, and that comes up every day. Like somebody will mention Jesse Camp to me literally every day of my really? life. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, what is yeah, that yeah. like? It's okay. You know, it, it was annoying at first. Like, four months in, it was annoying. I was like, when is this going to stop? In, you know, Later in 1998, I was like, when is this going to stop? And, uh, and then it was like, it became clear in early 99, it's never going to stop. You know what I mean? And that's fine. There's really, I mean, it's, it's annoying. You know, it's, it's, you, you know um, I'd like to be able to move on. Um, but to have done something, first of all, if that's the price, that I pay to get to do what I want to do with my life, I will very pay Very small. It. It's very a small, small price, price. I, and I, I will gladly pay it. Um, but it, it's, it's also, it's, you know, it's refreshing. It's nice to have done something that people sort of remember. Yeah. And you know, it, it was a little bit of an embarrassing moment that I'd rather not relive for the rest of my life, but I'm going to, and so that's fine. Can you, you know? describe to the people what what is oh. embarrassing about it? Well, I uh, I I went for I first of all, it was a grown man going into uh to be a VJ. Like go, go, doing what I what I thought was an audition. And I had like a regular job. I was an advertising guy in New York and and <clears throat> I was just dicking around on the internet and uh and I found out about the audition and I was like, "You know what? I want to go in." Like at the time I was doing some improv and sketch comedy shows and whatever and uh and I was like um, you know, I, I, I had wanted to leave my day, my day job behind and, and sort of throw myself into writing or, or, or uh, something creative, something more creative than advertising turned out to be. And, uh, and so I thought, well, maybe this is my ticket. And I, and I, first of all, I just thought, I, I just wanted to go in there and, and meet people, shake some hands, and just see if there were job opportunities there. Like, see if I could make some sort of lateral move. Cause you're a music nut. I'm you, a music you nut. You have an encyclopedic. Yeah. I'm pretty nerdy. Music. I'm pretty yeah. nerdy. Yeah. yeah, and uh, and and it's funny that like that if people know that I'm a music nerd, they know f- that from MTV, where like my area of having of like displaying knowledge was incredibly narrow. Y- you know what I mean? Like it's it's Kaja like, Gugu and nothing else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, in 1998, uh, we remember their big comeback. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I wish I got. I wish we could have played more Kaja Gugu. But they, uh, um, uh, where was I? See, I'm lost. Going in, you just oh yeah, going in. Uh, yeah, I just kind of thought maybe I would get myself a job, and I and I you know I also didn't know the thing was going to be televised. I I, I knew it was going to be like a cattle call, and I and I and I I got the impression that they would get try to get some press out of it because it was you know it was a big deal. There were thousands of people standing in line and whatever. Uh, I didn't know that once it got down to a certain level, it was going to be on live TV. And I thought, well, that's a little weird and potentially embarrassing, you know, uh, especially since I'd called in sick from work to go and stand in line and so so I sort of had to come out and and tell my coworkers like yeah uh, that was not sick I stood in line and I need the rest of the week off because I made it to the top 10 so yeah so from from the thousands to top 10 uh, happened off camera but then from 10 to 1 happened on live TV and this was an audition to become an on air VJ right. for, for MTV, for MTV. Right. Yes. right and uh, yeah and it was uh, it was it was super weird just the whole thing was utterly utterly surreal they they uh, they they called me like they they had to call by midnight on Tuesday. I went in on Monday and auditions were all day Monday and all day Tuesday. And they were going to narrow it down to a top ten by midnight on Tuesday. And they called at like literally like eleven fifty nine. They called, <clears throat> and and I had already made peace with like at, when five o'clock came and went. I was like, I, I assumed that television worked like regular stuff works. And I was like, well, it's close of business on Tuesday. They haven't you know they didn't call me. They probably never will. 
And uh, and so I sort of made my peace with it, and then they called like at the very last minute. And so uh, yeah, and so then the you know the the it was an hour each on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then sort of a three hour live event on Saturday. And uh, because that's all that like. Now, if it happened now, it would be like an 18-week show and, you know what I mean, like one person would be eliminated every week and we'd all talk about our journey and, you, you know what I mean? Right. It would be like a big, icky reality the TV thing. The producers would, would manipulate you all into talking Always. bad about the other person. Exactly. We'd have to live in a house, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, they'd have to go t to St. Louis and talk to my parents. Like, it would just be hugely humiliating. They would so, find out that you're afraid of snakes and then you uh -huh. would walk into a room and it would be filled with snakes. All snakes. Yeah, it would be, the, the potential for embarrassment would be much, much higher now. Uh, at the time, it was, you know, they got five hours of live TV out of it and that was all that they could do and I'm fine. That was that was fine. So so ultimately, I, it came down to me versus this guy, Jesse Camp, who was sort of a sort of strung out, you know, St. Mark's kid kind of a character. Um, and you know, and the minute I saw him, I was like, Oh, here's the guy who's obviously going to win this thing because he was sort of, you know, an outsized character in a way that I am not. Uh, but again, I just thought, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to continue to be here and I just, and I'm going to collect as many business cards as I can and, uh, and just try to get myself a job. You know what I mean? Like doing, doing something yeah. because, you know, I just wanted to be in there. It seemed like the mothership. That was a long answer to a question that I don't even know if you asked. <laughs> What was embarrassing about it? Oh, losing. That's Not it? winning. Yeah. And also the fact that I was, you know, uh, I was 26 or 27 or something at the time, which is a tiny bit too old to be doing something like that. I, I would, think. I would, I would disagree with that. Well, I think in, in, in the context of my life, it felt a little like, I felt like, it, it, like a foolish thing that maybe I should have left behind. I'm glad I didn't because it changed the course of my life. Um, but, but it it did seem a little a little goofy, like a little bit of a goofy thing for a grown man to do, you know, stand in line and you know <laughs> yeah. at a cattle call. I, 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 I understand. You know what I mean? It was it was a little corny yeah. and losing. You know, I mean, you know, you don't want to lose in front of people. Also, I had to blow off a, a good friend's wedding that weekend to do it, and you know, and I, just, I don't know. It, it it was. I mean, it was fine. It was fine. I knew I was going to lose, so it was okay. But you wound up. Uh, Wound up actually working at MTV longer than he did, even oh, though sure. he got the yeah, yeah, yeah. he got the job, and yeah. then you went on to work at VH1. Yeah, so those are the two channels people would mostly know you mostly, from. Mostly, yeah, MTV, and, and, VH1. And, and, right, and then I do uh, I do your show at FX, basically. What? I do uh, a, drink a with show, Dave. No, I do a show called uh, a, a DVD on TV, which is sort of FX's dinner and a movie. Oh, okay, but it's extra stuff from the DVD rather than recipes. Oh, right on. So yeah, so all the time, like if people. Either recognize people either recognize me idea. from MTV and yeah, it's a terrific idea. Uh, yeah, it's been on forever. It's been, we just started our ninth season. Those things just never end. I always wanted to talk about that stuff about the movies and yeah, and um, they always kind of said, nah, you know, other shows do that, but I. I always wanted to know the extra information yeah. about the about the actors and the stuff that happened behind the scenes yeah. and stuff like that. But for some reason, on our show, they always had a shy away yeah. uh, from from that for some reason. So yeah. uh, uh, that that sounds yeah. And, and when I'm doing my show, I want to eat. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I want to cook some shit and eat. <laughs> I'm serious. And it, you know, and it, it's uh, yours all has always seemed more like it, like you're doing it in real time mm -hmm. a little bit. And maybe you do. I don't know. Um. Or did not, not really, okay. not really. I mean, it ta it would take us about four hours I got to uh, initially when we first started doing the show. It would take us about ten to twelve hours to do a show, 
and it still uh, does. It still, does it? still takes us that long. Yeah, it, yeah. For one episode. Yep. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. I know there's. It's, I know there's a gazillion worse jobs than that. Oh yeah. But the the thing but, that's annoying about that is you go in there with this expectation that this is TV. This is yeah. fun. Uh-huh. And it and it winds up. It can be grueling. Yeah. It can be really grueling. And it's especially. It's shit like that is really hard for me because so having started at MTV, I was at MTV for five years, and most of what I did there was live. And if it wasn't live, it was there were budgetary limitations that made us have to bust through shit really fast. So it it sort of didn't like there was a sort of anarchic spirit to it. You know, you just you turn the camera on and you did it, or or like or they would you know we we would have time to fill, and so they just send me out to Times Square with a camera crew and just let me fuck around and let something happen like let something which is develop the best stuff. which is the best thing in the world and so so i feel like i got very like that sharpened my skills and i got very good at that and then i moved out here and i started um i started uh, this show for fx which i enjoy doing but it's and then an, an, i did another show also another interstitial show for uh for court tv uh, interstitial by the way for people that, that don't oh we're doing shop talk here don't know is a show within a show so for instance dinner or in a movie was an interstitial show in that w- we were folded inside the movie right talking about the movie right you tend to pop up at uh, at a commercial break do yeah. a little thing cook a little recipe give a little right. fact whatever and then you cut whatever so yeah so it's that kind of thing and, and in both cases um, you know, these are quick 15, 20 second little bites that we're doing, but like the framing has got to be just right. And like, yes. you know, and, and you're waiting 45 minutes for somebody to light something and then you get a couple takes off and then it's like, oh, and then the DP, the director of photography, cameraman mm-hmm. is like, it rushes to the back of, of the set to like, let's counterclock that bongo. Yes. 10 degrees. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like just this stuff that like. You know, I understand. I understand. You know, everyone wants, to do, everyone wants to do the best job that they can do. I get it. But for me, uh, it is uh, it, that it, it, shit like that is when I started to have terrible anxiety, like terrible, terrible anxiety, um, like stage. I, I, I knew from performance anxiety and stage fright and whatever. I knew all that stuff. But the kind of anxiety that developed working on those kinds of shows while you're just standing there on this silent set while people are sort of are, are like tinkering with things um, made me go crazy, yeah. like crazy, crazy, because there's nothing to do. You can't do any. You can't move. You know, they're they're trying to light around you. And so so you got to kind of sit there and you're out of shit to say to your co-host in both cases, lovely people. And then you're just kind of there. And it's like, I started to have the worst panic attacks I've ever had in my life. Like, on set. Like, to the degree where I just wanted to run away. Like, rip my mic off and run. And not even have a destination. Just open the fucking stage door and run. I, I, I totally get that, Dave. Because I used to, I used to feel guilty when I would say that my it was exhausting to do the show because i'm i'm showing a a movie Uh i'm cooking food and i'm talking right but what you forget is when you're the person that's doing that yeah it's going out to a million people you want it to be look good good. you have a level of comedy that you want to attain and all these people are stopping it to tweak the bongo to do this right and you have rhythms, as you know, that you yeah. get into yeah. when you feel you get in a groove, you feel funny. All of a sudden, somebody stops that. It's right. like if somebody says to you, "Hey, you're going to go out and you're going to give a speech to a million people. Go, wait, hold on. Yeah, 
we're gonna we we need to press your pants. Yes, we need to do this. Yeah, and and so you're just sitting there like a like a racehorse. Yeah, waiting, waiting to go, to and go. they open the gate a little, then they shut it, then they right. open it, then they shut it. Right, and you cannot get into a and group. And your living is tied on being a fast horse. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's, exactly that's kind of yeah. The, and and in 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 my case, I uh, I didn't. I'm still not great with asserting myself and saying let's fucking go. Like it's it's it, it's difficult for me to do that without feeling like I'm I'm coming off as petulant. And I and I and I'm sure that I sometimes do come off as petulant because I'm getting better at trying to like speed things along. Um, but at first it was just like like I didn't know that I could speak up ever, you know. And and I I think that I I was able in my first few years in the business I was able to work as much as I did because I was easygoing. Uh, probably uh, to a degree where I was like a little bit of a pushover, probably a lot of yeah. a pushover. Um, so I didn't know that I could uh, that I could speak up and say like, get the shit done, like have it done when I get in there, so that I can do what I do. Like I'm here to do a job, just like everybody else. You're not a robot. Right. You have a finite amount of energy and right. creativity. Right. Right. In my case, in in both of these shows, they're very heavily scripted, and they're always there's a, there's usually like a sponsor who is signed off on the copy. So I'm very shackled to what is written, um, which is another thing that drives me a little bit crazy because because I like to be able to be free, you know. Um, and you know, here and there, I can be with other you know other jobs and whatever. But in, but these interstitial shows were very very rigidly scripted. And sponsors are notoriously humorless. Yes. And fear-based. Right. Right. And also, it's just, you know, if you want to change anything, um, you you know, it, it, several people have to sign off on it. The production company has to sign off on it. The network has to sign off on it. All of whom are afraid of being memoed later if right. they make the wrong decision. So right. they make the safe choice, which is one of the reasons why television becomes horrible. Yeah. Because decisions are being made by people who aren't using their artistic integrity. They're right. doing it because they're afraid of being fired. Right. Right. Which they're going to be anyway. <laughs> you know what I mean? Every six to nine months at every network, there is a full turnaround. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, I don't know what the fuck people are afraid of. Uh, but yeah, it, it got to, it got to a, a really, uh, yeah, I, I got to a point where I was like really suddenly racked with anxiety where, you know, I think I'd always been a little bit of a nervous person, but it was starting to really like, it, it was, I felt like balled up shit that I had just sort of kept inside for a long time was like always threatening to rise to the surface. For me, it was like, I was just afraid I was going to scream. Yeah. Or, or scream or like or just become a baby you know yes. what i mean just start crying or mm-hmm. shit myself or or whatever um or just start yelling you know and and uh and like and and not to a degree where nobody could reach me or calm me down or whatever like i was i was constantly afraid that that was like like i was like a one of those old-timey thermometers and yeah. it was just about to just like the top was going to explode mm-hmm. you know um which was awful and kept me i think um the and i've i've recently started therapy uh within the last couple of years and because i because i started to notice that i was getting less bold with uh my career like i was blow, i would blow off auditions because i was afraid that i would be afraid in them you know what i mean i started yeah. to have that thing where i was like anticipating a panic attack in the moment yeah and uh and so like put, taking myself out of the way of things so that so that it wouldn't happen so that i wouldn't feel fail like before you fail right or just dodge it you know yeah. because i'm like i'm not rich by any means but like i i have been working for a while and i and i'm able to pay my bills and so so i didn't i didn't have like the super hunger 
to like put myself in the way of work. So I was, and, and I was, you know, racked with anxiety. So, so I, I started to notice myself blowing things off or signing in in an audition and then like leaving, just being like, I can't, I can't do this. I'm leaving. And then, Oh no, it went great. You know, talking to my agent or manager, Oh, it was terrific. I might not get a call back, but it went really great. And, uh, it's, and and then I I realized like if I'm if I'm actively blowing stuff off, then I am probably also passively not starting myself enough. You know, not not doing my own projects enough for the same reason, but just not even noticing it because it hasn't it hadn't come to you know what I mean. Yeah, it wasn't at the level of being noticeable. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. So I was like, all right, it's time for me to go and and talk to a shrink. So I do, and it's great. And, how and I'm fixed. So anyway, it's been really good being here. <laughs> Uh, no, I am not fixed, but Let's, but it's 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 whatever, whatever. Go ahead. One of the things that I I relate to and that I'd like to talk about is the difficulty in speaking up for yourself. Um, you know, when you were talking about being on the set and for a long time not realizing that you were able to to say something to say, right. hey. You know, I have a finite amount of of energy, yeah. and I, I I realize you guys want the set to look lovely, but it's diminishing returns here, right. and I'm not able to do my job as well. Right. I didn't know at first how to say that. Yeah. Because I came from a family that where I didn't know how to express my needs. Is you and me both? I, that's that's what I want to oh, want to yeah. get to. Can you yeah, yeah. can you talk about? Uh, yeah. What, you know what the. What your your childhood was like, okay. and the kind of dynamics there that made yeah. you think that that you don't well, it's know how to express your needs. Yeah, well, they're they're oh god, um, get ready. Uh, no, I mean I I'm I, as I imagine you are also Catholic, Irish Catholic, mm-hmm. and, which uh, culturally tends to be like we we tend to not speak up a lot. You know what I mean? To not like not a not to bed. nitpick. Yeah, not a hotbed of feel good. No, or a feel anything. Yeah, you know, um, it's you know, I, in my family, everything is fine, fine, fine until it isn't. You right. know what I mean? Like everything is is super a okay, and and then it's just one weird thing <laughs> will just set a person off, and uh, and you don't know what it is, and it's like it was something that was fine yesterday, and it's you don't know what whatever. It's, and it's like, never it's, about the thing. Oh, it's, it's never about, about the it's thing. It's about the buildup of something oh, over fifteen years. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To this day, if my mother gets angry with me, it's like, you know, it starts with the thing, and then within five minutes, like, it's, you know, and when you edited the high school newspaper, you left everything to the last minute. Like, that was 1989. You know what I mean? We're in, we're in the 21st century now. Why, let's not argue about that now, you know? Right. So there's that. But also, I am, I am the very youngest in my family. I have two older brothers who are, like, a year and a half apart, and they're, like, eight, they're eight and ten years older than I am. And, uh, and, and Were you so, an oops baby? I well, I'm kind of, sort of, it, but you know, in a weird way. In that, my brothers are both adopted. That my my parents didn't think that, or or at the time, were not able to have children. And uh, and so, and I don't know. Again, we're Catholic, so I don't know who, I don't know where the problem was because it's it happened downtown, and we just don't like that's an area right. that we don't sure. talk about. You know what I mean? By so, the way, same thing with me. My brother. Is older than me and was adopted. Really, and I wasn't. Wow! And as soon as they adopted him, 
my mom was able to get pregnant. Wow. Yeah. Well, go ahead. Yeah. Similar. Yeah. Similar thing. Except for in my case, it was many, many years after. And, uh, and so, yeah, so it's, um, yeah, I, I guess I'm kind of like a super oops baby. So yeah. So like for me, speaking up at all always made me feel very silly. Um, because I, because I was so much smaller and so much younger than anybody else. So like to this day, when I, when I think of, when I hear my angry voice, it's a child's voice. You know what I mean? Like it feels very small and, and very like, um, like, like I said, like petulant, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, like a pouty peevish little baby. And, uh, and, and so, and I never really, um, I, I think I scored points by being like the even keeled one in the family because my brothers are, are both in their way, very hot headed and, uh, and, and, you know, and temperamental and there would be, there would be, you know, fights growing up, which I imagine caused you tremendous anxiety or made you uncomfortable anxiety. Yeah. And which would frequently be about me because, you know, because teenagers get to a point in their life, like middle teenagers start to kind of resent their family, just period. Like that's just a normal developmental stage that you go through to have the extra added thing. I think of being adopted, um, and and having a younger sibling who you already kind of resent anyway for needing attention when you need attention, uh, having a, you know a younger sibling who is biologically the product of your parents, I would imagine is would make you more resentful and make you whatever. And so so like I get they they started to treat me very differently when when they became teenagers and were were you know sometimes very nasty and so so their treatment of me led to a lot of fights between them and my parents i would imagine which would terrify me and make me hide behind furniture and and then and then because you couldn't see that this was a thing that's very normal and teenager no and they don't understand what's happening and they're just letting it out so you think i really am bad yeah i really am yeah a spoiled little baby yeah exactly and i can't and like and when it's over i don't want to talk about it anymore and uh you know because i'm in an irish catholic family (laughs) we don't we're never going to you know what I mean? Like it's there's a blow up, it's over, everybody hugs, and then it's over. Yes. And let's uh, go back to worrying about the blacks moving in. <laughs> right, right. Uh yeah, let's let's yeah, let's go back to ironing our clothing and making sure the the drapes are, you know, exactly the same in each window and whatever so nobody thinks we're crazy. Um yeah, it, it's uh it, I I grew up with a, with yeah, with a, a lot of a lot of tension, a lot not a huge amount of fighting, but but an unpredictable sort of couple of tempers. And, uh, and, and so my job was to sort of, was to not be that, you know, was to sort of smooth shit over <laughs> and, uh, and make everybody like each other again. And then, you know, so I never, I never really expressed my own needs. And then, you know, did you ever get a sense that you even knew what your own needs were? No. Okay. No, I don't think so. Um, you know, I think, I think that I wanted then for us all to just sit down and talk. You know what I mean? Because it because we never did, and and it's it it's there. There's an enormous amount of I, I can't imagine what that must feel like. You know, to to be one of my brothers, I don't know what that feels like. I don't think they know what I feel like. Um, I, I I do. I mean, feeling talk is not you know what we do, but I I think one uncomfortable conversation long ago might have sort of helped everybody in the situation a lot but it just never it never happened and it, and it's still like i you know it's not it's not a secret that they're adopted and i'm not it's not like you know i know that they know that i know 
you know, but it's but we've just never talked about it, and I'm never going to bring it up because I don't feel like it's my thing to bring up, and I don't want them to think that I'm always thinking about it because I'm really not. But it's like there are some there are some things that we should probably address because yeah. I don't understand it, and I and they don't understand my perspective either. But you know, they went off to college, went off to graduate school. By the time they got back, I was off to college, and it's just and we've just never been adults really in the same place ever. You know, I, I moved away right after and. um and yeah, so it, it's, it's, it's weird. It's a, it's a weird little, you know, I, I, I did not get great modeling for like, uh, you know, making my feelings and my needs known. It, it, it and really, neither did either of my parents, I don't think. So it's not on them. Yeah. Cause it w- wasn't really, you know, our parents' generation, you know, as my mom used to say, children were to be seen and not heard. Yes. And so they were just continuing the status, the status quo, right? Uh, so it, you know, it's hard. It's hard to really get upset with your with your parents about that. But yeah. you know, there is a there is a draining quality to the the elephants running around the room that just uh, it just it just saps you. Yeah, it just saps you. Yeah, and, and being around those people and having that unspoken thing, and sometimes you don't even know exactly what it is you just know that you're not comfortable in that room and when right. you leave it it you feel a weight fall off your shoulders yeah yeah and and it's also you know when i was growing up in it i kind of knew where it came from but i didn't like you said before i didn't under, i didn't recognize it as a natural part of life you know i didn't get that it was like um i i just was like where do my friends go you know what I mean? Why? Why aren't like we were? We were good yesterday. Why aren't we good today? And uh, and and it like and I felt like I had done something. You know, I felt bad for being there. You know, like I'd done something bad by like existing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, it, do do you go through this with your brother at all? Like, it, have you talked openly about any of this? I have. After I went through therapy, um, I I talked to him and I apologized for some of the things I said uh, yeah. because kids can be very cruel. Yeah. Uh, and he would he would sometimes push me uh to to the breaking point and then I would say something incredibly mean but uh we have a we have a pretty good relationship uh these these days we mostly bond over how crazy my mom is uh-huh. and uh god bless him because he puts in a lot of time with her she just moved into a retirement home a mile away from him yeah. and she pushes his buttons like you cannot believe yeah but he's uh I think he just has a much higher threshold for for her, uh, or he goes to a place in his head where yeah. it doesn't hurt as much. I I, yeah. I don't know, but so um, crazy how my mom, yeah, uh, extremely controlling, yeah, and will deny, you know, your reality. Will tell you things that happened never happened. Um, right, can be incredibly praising one minute and then say the most cutting thing the next minute and right. uh you never know which is it volatile just emotionally volatile not like screaming at the top of her lungs but you know in two minutes can go from being very pleasant to going on just a rant about somebody or something yeah unending yeah mon- monologue yeah you know? uh, oh, that's fun that's a good time <laughs> good and lord thing- and that's and that's your mother so it's not yes. you can't just it's not just a person that you can tune yeah. out it's the person you're supposed to feel safe around, and yeah. there's nobody I feel less safe around. Right, and 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 I'm sure he feels the same way. And it's it's just 
you know, it's one of those things where you 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 don't want to write your mother off because it's your mother. Right. But at a certain point, you have to protect your sanity. And yeah. I think everybody finds where that line is. Yeah. And I, I, what what were your parents like and what was your relationship with your parents like? Um, I, I have a pretty good relationship with my parents. It's, um, yeah, my mother, there, there's a certain degree of, of control, uh, controlling behavior with my mom. I think it's, you know, um, parents of our of of their generation, I think, are like that. I think that my my mother would would still dress us all if she could, you know, um, and also sort of doesn't get why she can't, you know, like doesn't it, it's not she's not a hundred percent certain that she can't, and and it's you know um, there there's um, it's, I think it's another Irish Catholic thing to really to like um, to to live for the neighbors. You know what I mean? To kind of, to live your life through other people's view of you, you know? So, so she wants everything to be her version of perfect so that other people will think that she's great. I I think that is so incredibly common. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Incredibly unhealthy. Super unhealthy. But the most normal thing in the world. Super unhealthy. And also not something that she can recognize, you know? I I remember, like, first of all, I remember one of my brother's saying that to me you know when he was a teenager you know and and going through his sort of teenage stuff saying like mom's whole world is what the neighbors think and i didn't get it but i was like i remember i was eight or whatever and like listening to it and just you know trying to smooth everything over and you know be the person that everyone talks to and whatever and i was like i don't remember what i said but then i remember when i was 15 or 16 i started to notice how much you know how much of of life was a performance for people around us and uh and i made that same exact observation to the same exact brother because i remember exactly what he had said and i was like that is so true and we were in a car together as we had been the first time and i was like mom's whole life is what the neighbors think and he was like i don't understand how you can't be more grateful (laughs) that's so hilarious you know what i mean like what are you getting beaten are they starving you and it was like, no, no, of course they're not. But like, and I, did, I never said, I wish I'd spoken up and said, you said those exact things to me, you know, when you were in my position, you know, uh, uh, my, um, this will illustrate it perfectly. Um, I was in the car with my parents. It was in the back seat, and, uh, and my, we were on the highway, we were on Highway 40 in St. Louis, um, you know, busy highway going fast. And, uh, and my dad was telling a story. My dad's very, like, demonstrative he moves his hands around a lot as i do like he's just you know he's big with that kind of stuff and whatever so he's telling some story about something that happened to work i don't remember what it was but he was like his face was kind of severe and his arms were going and whatever and my mother in the passenger seat was just smiling this huge smile just like like she's having the best time and my dad said what are you smiling about this isn't a particularly funny or happy story and she said i don't want anyone to think you're yelling at me we're on the highway you know, going 70 miles an hour. Oh, my. So, you know what I mean? So, like, there's that degree of, God. like, you know what I mean? I don't want a stranger in a car who might glance over to think that I'm getting yelled at. Oh, my God. You know? I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad I'm in therapy. You know what I mean? Like, because, you know, that shit is important to get out. Like, it, it illustrates and, and uh, illuminates a lot. Well, this is the perfect time, then, to mention... Uh, or to ask you, so we'll start recording now. <laughs> what was it like then to realize you were gay? Oh boy! When did you realize uh, you were gay? 
I think I always knew. Yeah. I think I always knew uh, on some level. Is it true like, that you came out of your mom's vagina doing jazz hands? <laughs> pretty much. The cards were dealt pretty early. Pretty early. Uh, I did, you know, I mean, my one of my earliest memories is getting the uh, the original cast recording of Annie on vinyl for Christmas and just listening to it until I wore it out. I mean, like I was, yeah, I was a pretty gay kid. I was, I was, a, I was, a, you know, I was a, kind of an effeminate sort of bookish kid, and uh, and yeah. So on that level, I sort of always knew. I remember also in f- at the end of first grade, I switched schools because um, I was I, I had uh, I had learned to read very early. Uh, my middle brother taught me how to read when I was very young, and uh, and so you know, as kids do, when you develop a new skill. You want to do it all the time, you know. So I got very good at reading very quickly because because it was a thing that I could do that nobody else my age could do. And so I so I blew through books and and uh, and so the 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 like parish school where I started school just didn't have the resources for me, and uh, which was horrifying. And maybe we'll get into it later. But anyway, uh, so I moved to a different school. Uh, at the end of that school year, I uh, I re- I remember saying uh, like one of the first summer days. I said there, there was a kid named Danny in my class who was like kind of sportsy and we weren't really friends, but like I wanted to keep in touch with him. And, uh, and, uh, and so I was like, oh, I want to, I want to call Danny over and just like, let's go play or go to the pool or whatever. And my mother said, uh, and I didn't know that you guys were friends. And I said, I, he's not, but I, I, we're not friends, but he's cute. Like, I just, I don't want to keep in touch with him. He's cute. And like everything stopped. Like everything just stopped. Like the, everybody was eating breakfast and just forks dropped. And it was like, I, I got, I, I immediately was like, oh, I've just done something wrong. I've oh done something terribly God. wrong. And like, not that I was going to get in trouble, but just that I had like, you I had expressed myself in a way that was wrong. And, uh, and so my mother said, like, do you mean, is he cute, like attractive or is he cute, like, like he says funny things or does funny cute things and i was like oh obviously i'm supposed to go for number two. Oh, it's funny cute things obviously he says funny cute things and uh and she's like well boys don't boys don't say that about other boys and and then this like kind of gave me the lecture about that not 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 in a cruel way nobody was mean but it was just it was obvious that like she wanted oh, to I protect can't. you from pain yeah 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 yeah, yeah. um yeah, but Which it, you can almost understand oh totally in that environment is she doesn't want you to be absolutely it's Absolutely, and also like I don't, you know, I, gayness did not enter their lives at all. You know what I mean? They're they're uh, my folks have been married for sixty years. They they they're you know they're both in their eighties now, and so you know it just was never they just never knew any gay people, and and it just you know it's that that whole thing didn't happen until much much later in their lives, so they didn't know. But but I I just remember that feeling of like oh god no. It would be so nice if when those moments happen, a parent could tell that little kid you know understand that if you say that around your peers they may mm-hmm. they may make fun of you yeah. but i want you to know that i'm here for you right to to tell me that right. you think he's cute and right. to talk about how you feel about him yeah that, which i did not feel safe at all to do and it's you know that's not a knock on them they just didn't know they didn't have the tools at all they didn't have the language they just didn't know it didn't enter their lives and uh and it's still you know anyway so uh, it was, you know, I, I was, I, I knew and I didn't, I, I came out to my family pretty late in the game, like not until college. And I was, I was already pretty out to a lot of friends and, and all that. And, uh, and it, you know, it went, do you remember who the first person was that you came out to? Uh, 
in like in the family or just in life in, in general? Just in life in general. I do. I it was my my closest friend in high school who was gay also, and uh, and did we, you know he was gay first? I no, no. Well, kind of, kind of. I, I we were like fourteen, fifteen, and uh, and I was you know yeah I I think I sort of knew I like I knew that we had something sort of in common, and I and I I, I think you know. Uh, by that time, I although I knew that I was attracted to boys, I had built up enough. Uh, I I had enough sort of internalized homophobia to be like, well, this is probably just a phase. You know what I mean? I'll just like I'm probably bisexual, even though I never think about girls ever at all. Um, like I'm, I'm probably this is just something I'll I'll take off like a like a jacket later in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but I but I think that. I, I think I felt a kinship with him. And I actually remember we were, my parents were out of town. We were probably 15. And, uh, and we, had, uh, we had gone to this summer school together. We were both sort of artsy kids. And we'd gone to this summer creative writing program. And we were writing a, a letter to a friend that we had made there. And it was just sort of passing it back and forth. And we sort of came out to each other that way. Oh, that's awesome. It, yeah, I don't remember exactly what we said, but it was... Like it just the note kept going back and forth, and it was just us in this room, and there was music playing and whatever. And then it was like, all right, we should put this down and just actually talk, you know, because now we know something about each other that we can't tell to anybody else, and so we should actually like talk about it. And we and we never we were never we it was never sexual between us ever, um, which is good. Um, so it, that was a very important friendship to have, and I'm 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 very lucky to, you know, to have had him around uh so it, it made seemed, it feel a lot seems, safer i was gonna say that's that must have been a lifesaver it was it was a, a huge life at that age huge lifesaver um yeah it, it was it was very helpful and uh and and on it like in high school it was pretty like people knew people knew um like there were people that i had told and then it was just like i had kind of a gay affect you know what i mean and like i had girlfriends and stuff like that i got asked to every dance believe me um because i love to dance um, but I, I was pretty, uh, it was pretty obvious that I was gay and, and it was also pretty obvious that everybody knew, but also, and it was an all boys school too, uh, Catholic. Um, and, and it was like, I was kind of accepted, you know, um, I was awesome. Not, I, yeah, it was, it was sort of neat. It was sort of neat. Um, you know, and it, and it wasn't something that anyone else said out loud. It wasn't something that I really ever said out loud except to like a close group of friends. But it was, you know, like I had a, I had a role there. Do you, you know what I mean? Do you think it would have been different if you had been uh, very effeminate? I was, I think, uh, more effeminate than I am now. Yeah? Yeah, I think, I think that like I kind of started to... Because you would think it would be the other way around. Yeah, it is often the other way around. Um... Yeah, I I don't know. I I for me like I I you know, I had this wonderful start uh with you know having like being sort of out and being accepted and and like having gay friends and whatever uh in high school, which is weird. And then I and then for me college is where I totally lost my way because I I picked a uh a school I went to Holy Cross, which is a lovely place, but super conservative, um super homogeneous. Um, really, like, I, th- I think it was, like, the kind of person, like, I remember visiting the campus and seeing everyone walking around and being all good-looking and, you know, happy and whatever, and I think that I thought that that was who I was supposed to be. If I just went there and started doing what they do, I would just become the person that I'm supposed to be and not freak my parents out and not bring shame to the family or whatever. And so, so I went there and sort of tried to put that identity on, and it did not work. And, uh, and, and, and it was like 
whatever gains that I had made in high school sort of got wiped out. Wow. Um, yeah, it was weird. It, it's the total opposite experience of almost everyone else's. I, I had interrupted you earlier. You were talking about a coming out to your parents uh-huh. and it was in oh, college. Right, right. Yeah, it was in college. You didn't interrupt me. I just went off on a tangent. I no, told I had you asked you. I had asked you about who oh, yeah, the yeah, first yeah. person was. Oh, the first person was. Yeah, sorry. Here. But again, I went off on a tangent. In, and uh, thank you for apologizing for something that I did. No, but it, it was me. I, also, I went off on a tangent. And I, will, I apologize for everything. So uh, the, you'll, that'll come back up. Um, I, this is a summit of the people pleasers. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, to, to like a degree that's not okay. This is, this is, you know, like to a degree that is not at all helpful. You know what I mean? Or, or pleasing. I'm going to top you and say it is okay. I don't think it is. I honestly don't think it is. And I remember when I first started working in television, there was um, uh, like the talent coordinator at MTV was talking about somebody that she had worked with before who she described as like so, so easy to work with that it's difficult to work with him because everything's okay so you never know you never get a straight answer you never get a straight answer and you never know when everything is okay you never know when you're doing your job to the best uh, to, yeah. to his satisfaction because everything's fine and i didn't get it at the time and now it's like oh now i kind of get it you do have to like you're allowed to express opinions you're allowed yeah. to you know something just have can to be find good, a way to do it bad. you know right and when right. you're raised in a family that doesn't know how to express yeah. their opinions you do it you go to zero or ten, you shut down or you explode. Exactly, exactly. And I still, I'm still really not good with that, you know? Um, anyway, so, okay, so coming out to my family, I, I had set that job for myself uh, for the summer before senior year. Like that, I was like, all right, this is when I'm going to do it. And uh, and, and also I, I had huge panic attacks around that time, like crazy physical, like clammy hands, shortness of breath, and uh, and and didn't connect them at all. Right. Like, did not. I, I thought something. First of all, it was like I have some sort of like brain AIDS or something that I caught from <laughs> like. For, for, and and I was so sexually inexperienced that I didn't. I don't know how that would have been transmitted or whatever. But or or, or like or I also thought because I had tried ecstasy once and I was like, oh, I did some sort of brain damage and I can't. Either way, it's something that I can't oh tell my anybody God. in my family because you know. Because it's because I brought I made it happen I made myself have these panic attacks not not from the very anxiety provoking thing that I'm about to do you know what I mean I didn't connect those two very easy to connect dots I didn't draw that line anyway uh, so I I I was gonna do it early in the summer and then then we would have the summer to just talk it out and then I would go back to school and I had already sort of made up my mind that I was gonna move to New York or Boston or somewhere and not go back to St Louis and and I and I went out my first night there. I um, I went out to a Cardinals game with my brother, my oldest brother, and he made some sort of fag joke, like in the car on the way there. I don't remember what it was, but it was some sort of gay joke. And I was like, "Well, all right, I guess we'll be pushing this off until the oh, very last minute." That makes me so sad. yeah. It was a real bummer. It was a real, real bummer. Um, and so I so I just I didn't say anything. I remember I said something to his then girlfriend, now wife kind of early in the summer because she could tell something was wrong. And uh, and so I remember we sat, because I smoked at the time and so did she, and we sat on the back patio and smoked like all of the cigarettes and I and I told her. And uh, and she totally like kept it to herself, which is great. Um, although I almost wish that she had done it for me so that I didn't have to do any of it. Right. Uh, but anyway, so, so I told the rest of the family probably in like mid-August just because it was like, I can't, I have to, I can't not do this. And... Uh, 
uh, all together at once no. or one by one? No, I told. Who did I tell? I think I told my middle brother first, um, and uh, and he was totally fine. I think I expected a little bit of a reaction from him, and I didn't really, I didn't really get one. Um, I think in some ways because he's very competitive with the two of us, middle child, and and uh, and and I, th- I, th- I almost, and this is you know a shitty thing to say about somebody, but I almost feel like he was like, oh, I win now. You know what I mean? Like I think he was okay with it because he was like, oh, I, I get points out of this a little bit. Right. You know what I mean? Um, uh, and then I told my oldest brother who had a terrible time with it and was like, it's immoral, and you know, gave me that whole fucking thing. And did um, you believe any of what he said? No. By that time, no. I had. I had left all that sort of behind. That's great. Yeah, uh, but I was also like, you know, come on, you know, we're not, he, he was whatever he was, twenty eight or whatever at the time. Uh, Is he still that way? He's a he's very conservative, very very conservative. Um, but but he's not, you know. Uh, I I think that if he didn't have a gay brother, I think that he would. Not be super anti-gay, but I think he would be just sort of passively anti-gay the way a lot of people are. Yeah. Um, he's certainly not actively pro-gay now. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's definitely better. You know, he's cool with boyfriends that I've brought home and, and stuff. Um, but yeah, but he, he gave me a little bit of a rough time. Uh, then, uh, then I think one of my brothers told my dad, uh, behind my back. Um, but then I, I told him after and I, and I got the sense that he had already, Gotten the news, mm-hmm. but whatever. He was totally cool with it. And then last was my mother, who was a disaster at first. Um, I just ima- didn't. I would get imagine. It at all. Just did not get it at all. What what activity is she going to uh, enact in the station wagon so oh, that nobody knows you're exactly, gay? Exactly, exactly, exactly. And it's you know, and and that's and that to me, honestly, like I do feel, I feel bad about that in a way because I know how important that is to her, and I know that, um, you know, in. St. Louis and especially the area that we live, it is very homogeneous. It's not, there are, it's everybody's, it's, uh, you blend in. That's yeah. the, the success That's is what blending you do. Success in. is blending in. And if you're going to, and if you're going to separate from yourself from other people, it's by your finance. Right. Right. It's by how wealthy you are. Yeah. That's the only oh. way to be different than other people. Right. Is better. That is considered. Yeah. Or better looking. Better, or, better yeah. looking or, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I, I understand. I understand how important that is to her, and I do like. I do feel guilty in a way that I, you know, that 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 makes that that's an uncomfortable thing for her. But ultimately, I've I've gotten to the point now in twenty years to say like, oh, it's your job. You know, like if that bothers you, that is your thing to go and fix. There and and there, there is no shortage of resources to help. You know, I remember at the time saying like, "There's PFLAG. Like, there are meetings for parents who go through this." You know, and uh, can you? Uh, oh, parents what? and friends of lesbians and gays. Okay, and uh, I would imagine PFLAG.org would I probably would hope so, be, yeah. be the website. Yeah, I th- um, yeah, that's great. I didn't know that exists. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, in fact, I think I went to a meeting or two that summer just to sort of get a sense for it, you know? And uh, so anyway, so I suggested that to my mother and she was like, oh, they're not, they're not anything like me, you know? <laughs> Which I was like, eh, okay, we'll deal with that later. Never did. Um, so it, it was the, the first, um, she took it, she took it really, really hard, really hard. And, uh, and just didn't, was just like, no, you're not, you know? And um, you didn't say watch this, did you? <laughs> <laughs> I did. Excuse me. Carl, come yeah. in. Yeah. 
Uh, and it, no, it, it was, uh, and, and that honestly, that whole thing of like, of no, you're not, that bothered me more than anything. Like that, but like any kind of dumb, hateful thing. And she didn't say anything hateful, but just any kind of bad, any dumb idea that she might have had about gay people, that didn't bother me because I was like, well, you're about to find out the truth. So I don't, I don't care what bad information you got. But that, the whole thing of like, no, you, like, you don't know your sexuality. I do. Right. You know what I mean? So it's so controlling. Very, super controlling. And, uh, yeah, it, 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 that that was that bothered me. But but I also like I you know as is my nature, I tried to just sort of be calm about it and just you know understand this is like this is a natural part of of development and you got to get it out of your system and you're probably going to be embarrassed about it later. But let's get through it now. And uh, and you know over time she's gotten better and better. I don't I don't I don't think she's ever said the word boyfriend. You know I've been with with my boyfriend Ben for seven and a half years now, and she likes him a lot. But I don't I don't think that she would ever say, "Oh, this is my son Dave and his boyfriend Ben." Right. Um, I don't know that she you know is out as the parent of a gay person to any of her friends, even though I know they know. You know it's not a secret. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's very weird. Also, uh, like. A year or so later, a couple years later, when I was working in advertising, my my first job, um, I was uh, I was sitting at my cube, and my mom called, and I picked up the phone and said hello, and she said, "Okay, I have an idea. How about a really masculine girl?" <laughs> Are you kidding? I'm me? not kidding. I'm not kidding. Are you? And, and this was like me? two years later, so I, oh I hung up the phone God. on my mother, and uh, yeah, it was. Um, it was, you know, it was a rough couple of years, you know, to think that like, like, are you thinking about, have you been spending this whole time thinking about solutions? Well, I've been surveying some field hockey games. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Jesus I've got one Christ. picked out. Yeah. So anyway, but they're, they're, they're better now. But I, but I do, I do think that it, it is a touchy issue for them because of how important other people's opinions are. Yeah. And, uh, and like. Though I know that I shouldn't feel bad about that, I feel bad about that. You know, I, I know that it's not my thing to to feel bad about, but I can't help it. You, you know, you you want your parents to be, you don't want them to be uncomfortable or experience yeah. pain or anxiety, yeah. even if it's filtered through their own kind of fucked up yeah. backwardness. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I don't know. It was uh, that was you know that was no fun, but it's it's. It's better now, you know. It's it's a lot better now. My um, coming out at college at Holy Cross was a fucking nightmare um, because I literally by the time I was out, like junior senior year, I was I was pretty much out, and I was literally the entire gay community on campus. I was the only out of the closet gay person oh my on the entire God. campus. When you literally when you applied to go there did you have any idea that you would be dealing with this i did i did but i i i i don't know what i thought i don't know what the fuck i was th i honestly don't know what i was thinking i think that i thought that um i would just find my people you know what i mean like i would find my my little niche within that world and i just never did um and and it's you know it's it's, it's a catholic school so they're not they're not going to go real far out of their way to make it easier for gay students to come out of the closet. Um, it, it's, uh, they, by the time my I think it was my junior year, maybe early senior year, the, uh, the chaplain's office, uh, started a support group for gay and lesbian 
students. And, and in fact, it came out of, uh, I wrote an anonymous letter to the school paper uh, saying that I was a gay person on campus, which I sort of did. Like I was, I had told, you know, a small group of friends, but I also sort of, like, I kind of wanted to send up a little test balloon for, you know, the world at large. Great idea. Small school. And, and I, how and many I, students? 2,600. Oh, that is small. It's very small. Yeah. And, uh, I, I think that I thought that like, you know, I'll, I'll, t- I'll test people's reactions anonymously because one, because once I widen the circle a little bit, I might as well just tell everybody because the, the, the grapevine is, is well lubricated. That's yeah. a mixed metaphor. But like, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like people, everybody knows everybody's business. Sure. Right. And, uh, and so, so I did, and uh, and and I remember, like, I was like, I, I was, my ear was to the ground for the entire, like, the paper came out on Friday. That whole weekend, I was just like listening in on people's conversations, and like, hey, what did you think of that letter, and whatever. A significant number of people thought it was a joke, like, thought that it was that it was written in jest, as like, what did that feel like? That was just like, oh, like I, I was not even prepared for that. Like I, I like a hateful reaction. I was like, I can deal with that. At least I know what that is and where that comes from and how to diffuse it a little bit. But like to think that it's so far fetched that there would be one gay student in this group of twenty six hundred people. Like I was like that fucking threw me. That threw me. And uh, yeah, like that that fucked me up for a while. Like that, that set me back a little bit, uh, a lot. Um, but 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 by the same token, I also it also allowed me to come out more. You know, because a lot of people did support, did like express, you know, supportive opinions and whatever. And so, so I told people and, and, uh, and the circle did get wider. And then, you know, basically I was out to the entire school because, you know, because people knew, right? So that conversation, I guess, that got started by that letter led to this support group thing. But because it's a Catholic school, it's, you know, it, it was kind of a rogue organization, you know, and, uh, and they also, this being the early 90s, uh, and th- everything was like super politically correct. They were really worried about like potential violence towards gay and lesbian students. So, so you had to go in and go through a series of interviews with people in the chaplain's office just to like, so they know that your you know your intentions are good, and that uh, you're not an infiltrator. You're not an infiltrator. It's not going to be like some you know terrorist sleeper cell deal. And uh, so you had to go through that. And then it was like then uh, you know for the first and I passed. Luckily, I passed all the interviews, <laughs> and uh, and then they sent uh, a letter to everyone's uh, to to like the POs of the people who were in it, and saying you know like here's our secret meeting you know don't tell anybody about it it's going to be in this shed you know in the middle of nowhere like in maintenance and uh, and so I went and it was like it was literally me and like three girls from the field hockey team, <laughs> and like and that was it and they were super closeted, um and like didn't you know and it, it became. Um, it, it became like a support group meeting about like, you know, how we were victimized this week and the hate speech that people have heard and all that kind of stuff. And I was, as I said, pretty much out by then and people, people knew. And, and, and so the, uh, the women didn't want to talk to me outside of the group because they were afraid that if they were seen talking to me, then somebody would be like, Oh, how do you know him? And then they would be, they'd be stuck for an answer. So, uh, so we had to like not, it, it was, We had to not have contact outside, uh, which fucking was like, well, that's crazy, you know? So a couple of times we did run into each other and I would say hello or whatever. And it like, I literally got in trouble for it. You know, I got like reprimanded for, you know, for breaking the, the, the clear rules of consent that we had set up. 
So that was a little fucked it's up. It's like a social version of Nazi Germany. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, it was bad news. It was really bad news. So, yeah, so that kind of fucked me up a little bit, you know? Um, I, I, I think, um, I look back on that and sort of cringe a little bit because it was, it was pretty gross. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. There, yeah. I could go on for hours about that, but I won't. Any, before we get to the, uh, the fear off and the, uh, oh, God. The, Are we there already? Yeah. Jesus Christ. Well, because there's so much. Anyway, anyway. Well, are, are there any seminal moments in your life that you'd like to, to, to touch on that were hmm. especially painful, embarrassing, transformative? Oh, boy. Um, hmm. Uh, I would, well, let's see. Through, uh, through this group, I ended up meeting later in my senior year my first boyfriend because finally another boy joined and they and the uh and they had like you know he had gone through the interview process and passed and uh and they uh the the woman this married woman who ran the thing uh asked me to like meet him for coffee to like you know just sort of ease his nerves about it and whatever and um and and I was like, sure, yeah, fine. So I did, and we, and it was, you know, dude was super hot and like funny and nice and super smart and dreamy and the whole thing, and uh, and we like immediately like it was I love you within like twenty four hours. You know what I mean? Both Just of, because, both of you, both of us, yeah. yeah, more me for sure, but both of us primarily because you know that first relationship, you're just you're like a bottle of soda water that's been agitated for in my case 21 22 years and the top comes off and shit just gets everywhere it's a mess right yeah. and uh and it's you know it's the same for both of us so we so we started coming to these meetings and we for like a month we were just inseparable and like and in love and that whole thing and uh and then he realized i think he had like he sort of came down from the initial eu euphoria of like you know meeting and and you know being with a boy and getting a kiss at boy for the first time and like was it both of your first times yeah 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 wow yeah it wasn't sexually my first time but it was like emotionally my first time for sure and uh because i had no outlet at that school there was nobody else you know um i didn't have a car i couldn't get anywhere so um and all those years of those teenage hormones with oh my no, god nowhere to no put a healthy them. outlet nowhere to put them and uh yeah so we had that so then and porn probably was even hard to find oh you could because it was before the internet yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was no, we couldn't email each other, much less send porn. Um, so, yeah, it was, anyway. Uh, so he kind of, like, came down from the, the sort of love high and realized, like, how out he had suddenly inadvertently become by spending all this time with me. And, uh, and broke up with me, which I, you know, and, and I probably I was also a little clingy, a lot clingy. Uh, so I don't, I mean, I look back and it's like, yeah, I should have been broken up with, for sure. But the shame of like, of having made that guy feel unsafe or feel weird or feel like unprepared when I could have like kept my hormones to myself and just done the job that I, that I had been sent to do, which is like be an ambassador and make the guy, you know, feel less weird. Like I could have made him feel less weird and I made him feel more weird. And I, and I, I carried like incredible guilt for that for an, for a real a long long time um where like i couldn't like it, it affected my dating life for a long time like i felt really? like yeah i felt like um like i felt 
like I'd made people unsafe. You know what I mean? You felt kind of predatory. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that, yeah, that fucked me up for a long, long time, long, long time. And it's you know now you know being a grown up and talking about it and getting it out, and it's like now now I get it, and you know it pops up on Facebook, and we you know we're not friends, but we're friendly. Yeah. And uh, and it's you know it's better now, but but it really that experience, and especially within the framework of like a support group for closeted gay students at a Catholic school. Like there was really nobody, there was nobody to say like, what you're going through is totally natural, you know, and you might not have handled it, handled it the best way that you could have, but you're not a bad person for handling it the way that you did. You know, you're a human being for wanting to be in a relationship. And you probably handled it how most 20 year old closeted gay kids would. The first time you met somebody who you thought was, cute and yeah. smart and funny yeah and it, and it was safe to be who you are around right. them i mean who wouldn't have been that way yeah yeah and it's it's kind of to be expected you know yeah. it's a little it's a lot to be expected you know so anyway it, it was it was weird and it's like and, and i'm also prone to torture myself you know what i mean it's like you were beating yourself up for clinging to a life preserver yeah yeah <laughs> you know what yeah, i mean yeah yeah yeah, it's 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 very silly, and and it, and I think it did lead to why I get anxious and why I why I have panic and and all that. Like I think that is part of the the stew. You Do know? you think those feelings crop up just because there's an absence an absence of feeling good about yourself and having something to fill that whirring of the brain, you know, the brain churning over and over again. Sometimes I think that anxiety is kind of a default if there, I don't think there necessarily has to be trauma sometimes. I think just an absence of security and a flowing of healthy communication between important people in your lives is enough that's it for that to that to, is it to be the default that is it and it, and it's yeah it is and it's and I'm I am recognizing it much more now within the last couple of years as an exercise that I am putting myself through like it is it's my brain's default thing when there's nothing there to fill it as you said and uh and and it's I I am I am more aware now than I ever have been that it is a choice that that I that I choose to do and that I can conversely choose not to do you know, when I see it coming, I can say, I don't want to do that job today. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's a shitty job and I'm not getting paid for it. And it's, and it's shortening my life. And it's like, it's, it's, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't have to do that. I don't That's have to great. do that job anymore. I remember the first time that I, that I did that and I said, wow, I can choose to not go audition for this terrible thing uh, that gives me a knot in the pit of my stomach because it's not really who I am. Yeah. And it was so freeing to yeah. to feel that. Yeah, you get to say no. Yeah, um, but but going back to that uh, that anxiety thing, I'm I I wonder if that's because our brains through evolution have just been whittled down to being you know the brain that sur- survives is the one that can anticipate the bad thing happening. Yeah. So it's just gonna that's its natural setting. Yeah, and, and that makes sense. That makes sense. And it's, you know, I, I, another thing that I'm, I'm able to do now is I know that it's like, uh, when things are flowing, when I'm doing things, I'm better, uh, looking at, looking at the, the beginning of it, I, I get anxious, like getting ready to get started, I get anxious. The, the five minutes before and like the first 10 seconds of any performance that I do miserable, I'm absolutely miserable, but 
once I'm in, I'm in. So, so if like, if, if I know that flow makes me, calms me down, I can create flow. You know, I can give myself some busy work to do. You know, I can get, I can like, I can work, I can just do something. I can fix something so that my brain is doing something. Right. You know, I can, which makes sense to yeah. what we were talking about right. earlier. You're, right. you're filling that void. Yeah. I'm just doing something. Yeah. I'm just filling. Um, I have, okay. I have the, I have to tell you about my shrink because this is the greatest thing yeah. in the world. Um, I go to a guy who uh, we had rented his house as a uh, as a location. He lives on the Pacific Coast Highway in Malibu, like on the beach, and we had uh, we had used it as a location for the show that I do for FX, and because uh, it's beautiful, and uh, and there are all these <clears throat> like there are surfboards and guitars and shit, and then a wall of uh, psychology texts. And I was like, hey, what's the deal? And he's like thirty five ish, um, super good looking guy. And, uh, and I was like, what's the, you know, we were shooting the shit. And I was like, what's the deal with all the books? And he said, well, I'm actually, I'm a psychologist and I'm just, I've just started my own practice where like, instead of sitting in an office and just talking for an hour, we, uh, we do a little check-in and then we grab surfboards and we paddle surf on the Pacific ocean. And we do most of the session out where it's nice and calm out in the ocean. And I was like, that this is, I am supposed to be here and I'm going to like, do you take Blue Cross? Because I'm in. <laughs> and uh, so I've been seeing him ever since. And we like we have like we have therapy with dolphins around us. Wow, it's fucking great. And like half my friends are seeing him now because I talk about it, and they're like, "Oh, that's so that's so crazy." Give me his number because it's incredible, right? I mean, it's the most Southern California thing you can imagine. That is so Southern California, but it's 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 it's, it's great, and it's, he's good. On top of it, he's good. Even if he was kind of a shitty therapist, I think I'd probably still do it. Sure. But he's not. He's really good. He's really good. Very skilled. If you want his number, listeners, I'll give it to you. Wow. So at the end, does he say, uh, I'm sorry, but this is our last wave? <laughs> yes, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, we'll ride a wave in. It's great. It's really And how long good. have you been going to see him? About a year and a half. You know, a year some, and a half? somebody, um, an e a listener had emailed me about, therapy and uh they were having trouble sharing things with their therapist and one of the things that i emailed them back and said was um you know your therapist is not there for you to look together in front of your therapist is there for you to fall apart yes in front of yeah and this person didn't realize that and and to anybody out there who's going to therapy and feeling like you're not progressing, there there is almost nothing that you can't say to a therapist. Yeah. I, I will say things to my therapist, the deepest, darkest, most antisocial thoughts that I'm thinking in front of her because therapy is for her to examine your thought process. Yeah. And... You, together for you to discover things it's 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 not for that person to to tell you how together you are or, yeah. or whatever yeah, does that yeah, make yeah. sense yeah totally you don't yeah you're, you don't go to the doctor to tell him how healthy you are <laughs> right you know yeah you go yeah. because you know you want to you want to fix something there's something yeah. you want to fix yeah yeah and, i uh yeah and, and and my advice is if you're having anxiety about that just go there, and for some reason, the first time I went to therapy, I, I don't know why, I had the insight to just let the worst stuff out yeah. at the top, but it freed me up then, to because once I saw, oh, she's not going to kick me out of the office, yeah. it's okay yeah. to share that stuff. Get it out. Yeah. Get and it out. E and even if you, you know, 
if it's even about your therapist, like I'll tell her, oh, you're just saying that because uh, you're getting paid. You know, and she'll and then she'll remind me. No, I'm a low fee therapist. Actually, I don't get paid. I'm yeah. I'm in training. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah, I actually decided yes. to go to because I've been telling people there's low fee therapy out there. Yeah, you should you should check it out. And I thought, well, why don't I walk the walk? Yeah, and uh, and so yeah, I've, How long? I've, it's it's going great. I've uh, gone to about 14 sessions so far. Great. She works on a sliding scale. Great. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's awesome. She's she's really really good. Good. Yeah. So she's younger? Uh, she's probably 35 would okay. be, be about my guess. Does that bother you? She's 18. She's 18 years old. Yeah. Does that bother you seeing somebody younger? She's a lifeguard. Uh, no, it doesn't. Because, yeah, me either. Be, because um, it's about, you know, it's like saying, you know, does it bother you that somebody that helps you uh, lift weights uh, is, is, is younger than you? Because it's about the lifting of the weights. It's not about how much that person it's not about them being smarter than you uh i I suppose there are times when life experience yeah because i'm you know 10 years older or 12 years older there are certain life experiences maybe that i've had that she hasn't but some of the insights that she's had yeah like uh she has greater therapy experience than you have she is older in the world of therapy and she is an, an objective other viewpoint which is what therapy is all about and one of the connections that she made the last time i was in there um was really profound she she had complimented me on something and all of a sudden i had the strongest sexual urge yeah and i've learned to tell her whatever it is that i'm feeling and so i told her i'm having this incredible sexual urge right now and we talked through it and unfortunately it was right at the end of the session yeah so she's but she said i noticed when i complimented you 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 are escaping into this area of of sexual fantasy let's pick that up next time yeah and so of of course it was an agonizing week of Of course you know what the fuck is constant jacking off (laughs) right but but one of the things we've picked it back up with is why do I have trouble taking a compliment? Why can't I let that in? And one of the things we've discovered is because it is opposite of what my core message is buried in there. So it's like a war. It creates a war. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to escape from the war. Oh, I'm exactly so the same So I way. go to what I used when I was, you know, 13 years old, uh-huh. which is sexual fantasy. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I cannot take a I will have a panic attack if you yeah. throw me a ball or pay me a compliment. I yeah. will fall apart in front of you. Yeah, I can't. I can't do it. I just can't do it. I never could. Are you? Do you feel like you're getting any better? Uh, I'm aware that it's a problem now. So when it happens, I try to like. I'm I'm getting better. I think I'm at the point therapy wise where it's like, oh, here's the thing I should be paying attention to right now. Right. You know what I mean? Here's something that I should bring up the next time I'm in therapy. Or here's here's a th- it's like this shouldn't be bothering me as much as it is. I wonder why. Yeah. You know. So in the moment, I'm able to stop myself and be like, just shut the fuck up and take yeah. it. Just say thank you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just say thank you and don't and don't try to like don't let your brain gears go fucking crazy trying to figure out what they want from you by exactly. giving you that compliment or what they're really thinking when they're paying you that compliment or whatever. Because your say brain like, will find something. Oh, absolutely. Your brain is ingenious enough to find a yeah. flaw. To find, it's like water. It will yeah. find a, a yep. seam. Uh, and, yeah. and that's so fucked up, Dave, that you can think of yourself as a predator 
more readily than you can as a nice guy. Yeah. Yeah. Or like a performer that isn't, that knows what he's doing. You know what I mean? Right. Like, uh, yeah, somebody who's on stage because he it, it belongs there. You or in front of a camera. You know, I like, I can't, I, it's, it's. You radiate obtain. nice guy. Thank you. You literally radiate nice well, it guy. Was, it was my job growing up. You know what I mean? I mean, like, it's, it's something that I come by sort of naturally, I think. But, but, you know, it, I've got to say though, Dave, it's, it's organic to you, I believe, in yeah. the, in the experiences I've had with you and from talking to other people. I've come across a lot of people who, they give off the nice person vibe, but you sense that there is something yeah. underneath that that is not that. Yeah. You know when that person smiles, oh, sure. the, the the mouth smiles, but the eyes the are eyes still shark-like? Dead. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, any other seminal moments? Seminal moments. Good Lord. Uh, let me think. You'll, you'll edit this down. Maybe. Won't you? Uh, I'll Just take out any... pause. I'll, I'll take... Oh. I'll take out on anything you want, but yeah, sometimes oh, no. I... There's, I don't think you, there's anything you need to take out. Uh, let's see. Seminal moments. Because it's going to take me forever to come up with one. That's I'm, okay. I'm yeah, I great edit, with I, them I get, until somebody asks me. You know what I mean? Same way. Like if somebody goes, oh, you're a comedian. Tell me a joke. Literally, my mind goes Gone. Blank. Gone. Yeah, there's nothing you can say. Uh, or like me, I love music. Hey, what's your favorite song? I don't know. I don't know. I can't think of any songs right now. can't think of a single fucking song. Uh, yeah, my life, my life is fucking full of seminal moments, but, uh, yeah, I can't, uh, well, let's, you know what, fuck it. let's, let's, uh, let's get into the fear list and oh, maybe, let's maybe do it. that'll trigger, uh, trigger something. I'm going to go over here and get my notebook. Now who starts? Oh, you got some. Uh, I'm going to be reading a fears from a, a listener named, uh, Laurel. Okay. And, um, I've actually read some of hers before I'm picking up on, uh, on her list. Laurel says, I'm afraid of how much I want to self-medicate with Valium. Ooh, I am afraid I'm going to spend my last years with a broken body, but a fully intact mind getting wheeled around by a stranger. <laughs> I like your fear list already. Oh, boy. Uh, I'm afraid that I have too many coping mechanisms with the result of pushing other people away because I don't believe because I believe I don't need them. Wow. Uh, I am afraid that the professional and or social circle that I was supposed to be a part of now just exists without me and the choices I made as an insecure child made it impossible for me to click into it or them. That's so good. Thanks. Uh, Thanks. Laurel says, uh, I'm afraid of asking for help. Hmm. Uh, I'm afraid I'm in the last five years of my life. Uh, I'm afraid that I'm one more sexual rejection away from giving up and trying to pick up strangers at bars. Hmm. Which, you know, is more fun than it sounds. She makes it sound like a real drag. It's okay sometimes, Laurel. I mean, not don't do it all the time, but once in a while. Uh, I'm afraid I'm getting dumber every day. Uh, I'm afraid that my inconsistent perception of how I look isn't an emotional problem, but a glimpse of reality and that I spend about a third of my time actually looking like a bloated and haggard piece of shit. Wow. She, her, she is good. She's very good. Uh, I am afraid I emit some kind of body or breath odor that the whole world isn't telling me about. <laughs> I have that one, too. Uh, I'm afraid that I'll fart while trying to talk to a cute guy, and he'll hate me. <laughs> <laughs> he'll probably love you. Uh, I'm afraid my whole career is going to sputter out. Uh, I'm afraid that my upper arms will continue to get super fat and I'll look like the crazy old women on hoarders. Oh, shit. Who are people too, Laurel? 
Uh, I'm afraid of having a stroke and getting locked in syndrome. Uh, I'm afraid that the arthritis in my jaw will progress rapidly and I will not be emotionally or financially able to manage a treatment plan. Ooh. I am afraid that the next time I go to the dentist, he will tell me he needs to pull all of the teeth out of my head. <laughs> I'm afraid that my cat will die and it will be something I could have prevented had I only taken her to the vet sooner. Mm, I have that exact same one about my dog. Uh, I'm afraid that my fear of freaking out, which we got into a little bit earlier, will actually come true on live TV. Uh, I'm afraid that I'll die suddenly, and when my parents come to clean out my apartment, they'll find my vibrators and the mm. porn on my browser search history and be saddened by the lonely life I've led. Wow, that's good. I'm out. Let's go to the loves. Let's go to loves. Go ahead. Uh, I love that I've grown to love exercise. Uh, I'm going to be reading people's uh, uh, loves from uh, from Twitter. Uh, oh, great. Colleen Coughlin-Taylor uh, says, I love ice-cold root beer. Oh, nice. Mm. Uh, I love my dog. I love when my dog just leans into me or plops his head onto my leg. Musso says, I love when my fiancé finishes my sentence, and it's exactly what I was going to say. Uh, I love that I can, in my limited way, create the world I wanted to live in. Abby Johnson says, I love having a heart-to-heart -heart talk on the phone with my mother, and she doesn't try to do an inventory of my faults or problems. And instead, she listens and doesn't interrupt. Oh, it's 140 That's characters? I, apparently, yeah. Incredible. My, I would bet exactly 140 characters. Uh, I love that Meryl Marco follows me on Twitter. Um, that's awesome. Ah, makes me so fucking happy. Um, Katie Baker says, I love that my best friends live right down the street. Uh, uh, I love the feeling about a half a mile into a run when the feeling that I can't do it melts away and suddenly I don't want to stop. Yeah. Actually, you know what? This isn't Twitter. You're right. This is uh, Facebook. This ah, is okay. a thread from Facebook that Fair I enough. printed out. Uh, Robin McDonald says, I love the way my therapist can make me see things in a new light. And for the first time in life, I really feel listened to and understood. That is beautiful. That is gorgeous. Uh, I love that Sesame Street was created by our species in our universe. Uh, Simone de Blasio, love Simone, says, I love making chocolate fudge pie for my friends. Uh, uh, I hope I, that's not a sexual euphemism. <laughs> Ugh, awful. Uh, I love writing something that makes me laugh. Jared Sexton says, I love the feeling of moving 2,000 miles away and seeing your new home on the horizon. Uh, I love starting a movie around midnight. Uh, I do, too. It's there, a good feeling. There is a womb-like beauty to watching a documentary or mm -hmm. a movie after midnight yeah. that i just yeah. fucking love you know you're not going to get through it but it doesn't matter yeah oh yeah. i do i don't go oh, to bed okay. till three but oh, okay it's, all right i fall asleep it, it yeah but i love it yeah god i fucking love it dean Battino says i love opening a canister of tea leaves uh after they've been brewed uh i love tennis players calves that's a great one. Oh, i fucking love them uh, Dean Bettino says, I love seeing toddlers run after pigeons. Oh, like that one. Uh, I love October in New York City. Dean also says, I love Paul F. Tompkins' impressions of John C. Riley and John Lithgow. I didn't even know that wasn't actually John C. Riley until about a month ago. Really? That's how good his impression is. He's fucking is. good. Yeah. Boy, is he good. Uh, I love my dog's face when I come home. Uh, Debbie Schuster Webb says, I love when my teenage son, uh, lets me hug him and he hugs back. Aw. Uh, I love going to the farmer's market and getting the ingredients for a big meal. Dean, again, says, I love when I get the courage to make eye contact with someone passing by and smiling, and they return it, and I don't feel like I always come off as creepy. I love men jogging in fleeces. I like that. There's something about a dude in layers that I really dig. Uh, you know what? Uh, I, I love... Uh, 
swimmers' bodies. Oh, whenever yeah. I see uh, male swimmers, yeah, I uh, I think that's as close as I as I come to uh, gay and having out. having a, a gay experience. Th- these new ones, though, they're almost it's almost too much. Your Michael Phelpses and stuff, it's all, they're almost robotic now. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, they're just a little, like, the, the it's just too much. You know, he's too conical. You know what I mean? I, he's I, too I, long and cone-shaped and, yeah. you know? Ryan Lochte, sure, good proportions. Yeah. I don't know, Michael Phelps a little much. Uh, just a personal choice. Dean says, uh, I love watching my cat watch birds. Uh, I love making my boyfriend laugh. Jeremy Claybaugh says, I love stand-up comedy. Uh, I think I am out. Well, Dave Holmes, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. This was good. This feels good. Good. It's good to get this stuff out. It is. It is really good. This is... uh, this is always the highlight of my day or my week when I when I get to do this yeah. and I get to know somebody a little bit better. Right. And we get to talk about that 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 ball of icky that seems to just like if we don't keep talking about the ball of icky, it seems to grow. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's, you know, it, silence and darkness are like perfect. They're optimal growing conditions for that kind of shit. They are. And the more that I talk about it, because I, you know, all of like feeling, you know, feeling anxiety, something that I always felt shame about. And, uh, and, and I felt like I can't tell anyone because, because, it, you know, part of why I do, why I've been able to do what I do is that I radiate a little bit of calm. So I don't want to fuck that up. And I don't, I don't want anyone to think that I'm feeling weird ever or have needs or have needs. Exactly. So I just never express them. But then now, now being able to a little bit, just being able to say out loud, like I'm feeling a little nervous right now. It's great. It's a great little valve. And it's ridiculous that it took me 40 years of my life to find it. You know, it's an easy thing. A lot of other people seem to be able to do it. I just never could. Well, uh, thank you so much. And uh, is there anything that you you want to plug that people can go Mm. uh, check out? Uh, Let's see. They can follow you on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter at Dave Holmes. Yeah, Yeah. please do. Please do. Uh, Or daveholmes.tumblr.com. Okay. Uh, for my longer works, uh, I'm taking over Attack of the Show for a week in September, oh, that's great. September 17th to the 20th. I don't know if this will be up before then. Um, Love those guys over there. Oh, I am so excited, and it's live. Oh, that's great. so. You know what I mean? So I get to do what I love to do and what I do best. You know, kind of be. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm ex- so excited, um, and I'm uh, totally afraid that I'm going to start crying in the middle of it. <laughs> Or throw up, or pull down my pants, or lose control, or whatever. So I, I say, hope that doesn't happen. I say you do the host juggling, and you do all of them at the same time. Terrific. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll work on that. I will add that to my fear arsenal. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. Many thanks to Dave Holmes for a great episode. Thank you, Dave, for being so funny and uh, honest and open and vulnerable. Um, unfortunately, I didn't put this episode up in time to uh, promote his appearance on Attack of the Show. But I did email him and ask him how it went, and he wrote back, he said, Oh, Attack of the Show was a motherfucker. Intense, searing anxiety through the whole thing. As they counted me down to the live broadcast each day, I thought, I am going to vomit on live television. And then at the end of the week, they said, What we like about you is that you seem so calm and confident. And they brought me back for another week, and I laughed and cried the whole way home. I love that. Um... Before I read a couple of survey responses and uh, wrap wrap things up, um, I want to thank everybody who makes this show possible, the guys who keep the spammers out of the forum, the transcribers, the uh, audio editors, um, 
uh, people who email me, people who fill out the surveys, the people who help me with the, the social media, um, all of you. I know I'm leaving people out, but uh, go fuck yourselves. That was, You know what? I forced that one. That was a forced go fuck yourself. And if you're judging me for that, go fuck yourself. That was not a forced go fuck yourself. This episode is sponsored by When Breath Becomes Air. When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi is the exquisitely observed memoir of an idealistic young neurosurgeon attempting to answer the question, what makes a life worth living, as he deals with his own terminal cancer diagnosis. It's a stunning reminder to live while we are alive. A must-read for anyone in medicine, from a doctor-turned-patient. For healthcare workers, expand your view on patient care and the fragile beauty of our mortal lives through Kalanithi's unforgettable words. Some of the questions Kalanithi wrestles with in this book include, what makes life worth living in the face of death? What do you do when the future flattens out into a perpetual present? When the future is no longer a ladder towards your goals in life? What does it mean to have a child, to nurture a new life as another fades away? When Breath Becomes Air is a number one New York Times bestseller, Pulitzer Prize finalist, and named one of the best books of the year by the New York Times Book Review, People, NPR, The Washington Post, Slate, and more. When Breath Becomes Air is available wherever books are sold. Learn more at prh.com slash breath. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right. This uh, is from the Shame and Secrets survey. And this person didn't fill out the entire survey. Um, I just wanted to read this one part. Uh, this guy's in his 40s. He's, he's gay. His name is Paul. And was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. And he writes, I had a year of aversion therapy, including electric shock at 12 years old, to assure my mother and the Catholic priests that were advising her that I would not grow up to be homosexual. The therapy didn't work, but it did make me terrified of sexual intimacy and to fear men. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm speechless. I don't even know what to... I can't even say anything. Um... And these last two that I want to read, the first one is from um, a listener, friend of the show, Patty Lynn Henry, and she writes, so in Minnesota, there's an amendment proposed on November's ballot which would amend the state constitution to legally define a marriage to be between a man and a woman. Fuck that. I'm so sick of this prejudice. So in addition to blogging, writing art articles, and posting on social media, to have discussions with others about why the amendment is both wrong and unconstitutional. I also had a yard sign from Minnesotans United for All Families, which I displayed proudly. On Sunday, someone stole that sign, and the same one from a neighbor two houses down. I immediately wrote an open letter to the thief on my blog, went to the hardware store, and made a new sign which read, You stole my sign, not my love. Vote no on the 6th. 
Today, I went back to HQ and purchased eight signs and four bumper stickers to share with my neighbors and friends who stood up for the, the cause. When I arrived home, there was a new vote no sign already in my yard and a note from a stranger. I could not believe the power of love and kindness any more than I do at this moment. It was so beautiful. I cried on my kitchen floor with a note in hand. It reads, the sign is inanimate, but the meaning behind is profound. I'm sorry someone took that meaning, but I'm happy to see you're strong enough to stand up again. Your new sign touched our hearts. Here's another one. If they steal these, post 10 more. Have a good day. I love that. And then the final one I wanted to read was also um, from a Minnesotan. Her name is Amy. She's gay. And this is from Happy Moments Survey. She writes, um, she, she, I'm kind of cutting to the chase on this. She, she was in a, um, a bar that's very old and storied in Minnesota, um, in Minneapolis, I think. Yeah, St. Paul. And um, very kind of old school, you know, prohibition era bar that's been around for a long time. And she writes, um, I remember being so happy, surrounded by votive candles, the jazzy tunes of the band, clinking of glasses and my girlfriend in my arms on the dance floor warm and smiling surrounded by the same crowd that had been going to mancini's since the prohibition era a crowd i would have assumed would be flabbergasted by the sight of two women dancing on the dance floor it was an exhilarating blissful and somehow hilarious experience no one seemed to be staring it was perfect freeing i won't forget it that's beautiful that is beautiful. You know, the, the, the people that want to hold the LGBT community back, they die every day. Their numbers are dwindling. Um, but those of us who do care about equal rights, um, we're young. <laughs> Maybe not me. They're young. And... Uh, and their numbers are only going to increase. So if anybody's listening to this and you're torn about your sexuality, every day it gets better. Every day one of them leaves the planet and somebody who's a little more open-minded, who will have a different set of values instilled in them, is born. Obviously, we're never going to be rid of, of homophobia, but... Um, You know, I, I hope that what Grizzly and uh, and Paul had to go through. Um, I hope that stuff like that happens less less and less. And I feel pretty confident that it that it does. Um, but it takes sometimes it takes us standing up in front of a a table full of people and speaking our speaking our truths. And there you have it, episode 82 from, from 2012. I hope you enjoyed it. And as I said, we'll be back next week with a brand new episode. And uh, I'm hoping you're surviving the holidays. Um, thanks for listening. And uh, never forget, you're not alone. Oh, I did that backwards. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely